Talking Theater with Sir Holworth Felix Smooth, the only podcast on earth about the theater. Nationalized Railways, a Scottish Prime Minister, female doctors. To some, these very real horrors of society make Jaws look like some silly and insignificant movie about a demented porpoise. But for the rest of us, horror as a genre is a roller coaster ride that is only headed in one direction straight for my ghoulies. We've all been to the picture house when the lights go down. We've all stayed up late to catch the late night showing of a touch of frost on the telebox. David Jason's performance haunts me night and day. And we've all heard the screams coming out of the theatre as another Gary Barlow musical is confirmed. Keep at it, Gary. You'll get there, old fish. But what makes horror horror? And why, oh why, does it keep giving us so much of them their ghoulers? <coughs> Goodbye. My name is Harold Felix to Smooth. And whilst I regret how many students really suffer in the comprehensive system, I'm glad of it. And indeed, for my expensive private education, which has forever afforded me a willing comparison. Indeed, of how lucky I am and how right governments are in prioritising it. Aside from that, I'm also the host of this here podcast, Talking Theatre. The only podcast on earth about the theatre, where this series we are delving into genres. Now, I'm more than a little embarrassed today. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever been more embarrassed in my life, if truth be told, uh, except on that one occasion where I, I misinterpreted what my niece meant when she said she wanted to watch Holmes Under the Hammer and smashed her doll's house to smithereens with a wooden mallet I'd taken to carrying in the early 2000s. Ugh, Janison, if you are listening, then I want to say sorry. I know at the time I, I failed to. In fact, I put the mallet in your hand, as I remember, and as your father, my brother, came in, I blamed you and looked at you in a way that suggested if you didn't follow Marouche, then you'd soon be under the hammer, as it were. You may say it's gutless of me to choose now to apologise some ten years after his perishment, but I'll say what I said at the time. Count yourself lucky you didn't ask to watch Embarrassing Bodies. Otherwise, I might have been ripping off Sean's clothes and showing you his large set of black moles, which, whilst they have their own charm, when he's horizontal on the starboard side, if you squint your eyes a bit, they look a little bit like the late Bob Monkhouse. At the same time, they are grotesque, and not so much embarrassing as fucking mortifying, to tell the truth. A shirt doesn't hide them. Sometimes they're so bad I make him wear a thick rolled-up carpet for 30 minutes to try and squish them down, especially if we're going out for a function that evening. Um, I've thrown away many a good chag pile to those pesky moly moles. Now, I'm embarrassed because of a little situation which arose last week. So, anyway, I'll tell you, there I am. Uh, I'm in my bed, and it's a quarter post, maybe a half post, perhaps even a twenty to a two in the a.m., and Sean is away on business, and I hear a howl and a shriek are coming from a next door. Well, you could have uh, imagined my frightenedness. Only the day before, a lovely young couple with a teenage lad had moved in, so I was concerned that perhaps they weren't settling in, or worse, 
that they had been butchered in the night by a brand new serial killer we have yet to discover. So, uh, I'd done a marathon of the popular TV program Night Stalker on Netflix. You must watch it. It's brilliant. Um, that particular night. Uh, so, that might have had something to do with my jumping to the most macabre of assumptions. Uh, perhaps even, I should say, uh, spurred on by the loveliness of the family and the juxtaposition of the two. Indeed, I met them as they arrived when I was out in the garden the day before, uh, and they pulled up in this large removals van. Um, it's about time we had a few more families in the gated community rather than just old millionaire pensioners. Um, and what a treat it was to see a family with such a colourful complexion. Uh, the father is Kenyan, the mother is Polish, meaning that the teenage boy is a beautiful caramel, and sweet he is too. Uh, when they were carrying the boxes in, he came over to ask me about my bushels, and we exchanged a, a few polite words before he went back to his duties. Uh, he's 18, and just about to attend the local university. I said to him, be careful of those ladies, <laughs> and he smiled, and then I reiterated, no, do be careful. Remember, no means no. You don't want to get yourself caught up in a honey trap that ends up draining all of your father's Kenyan billions through court costs. Just... Walk away. There'll be more women, and for the meantime, there's always Pornhub. Uh, Sean tells me. Anyway. So, back to the night at hand. I hear this noise, and uh, I shot up in bed. We've long used a bed cannon to uh, get me out. At 85, it's an absolute must, otherwise I'm there for hours just trying to get my legs in order so I can stand. A bit uh, like um, Grandpa Joe in uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, only without all of that senility. Uh, so there I am, I hear the scream, I wake up in a shock and a awe, and I'm shot out the bed and into an upright position, whereby my, my legs are straightened, the knees are locked, allowing my back to stiffen and my head to be held up, allowing for easy breathing and circulation to feed oxygen to my vital organs. In short, reader, I am standing. Desperate scenarios rattle round my mind, and I realise that the most likely situation is that the mother and father have both been shot in their beds, surely with pillows on their faces. A sweet release, thank God. Only the sound will have woken the boy, and he, scared and alone, is hiding neath his bed. Realising that's what's at stake isn't just a boy's life, but more importantly, the student loan afforded him by my government and my taxes, which cannot be claimed back, I make quickly out of the bungalow window and for their house. In my mind, I consider taking the door just to save the begonias that are below the bedroom window, newly planted t'other day, no less, but I quickly remember they were an Easter present from my cousin Heathland, who I hate, and so I actually turn back momentarily to squash them down a little bit more with me crusty heel. Like James Bond. Out of those James Bond films, I sleuth across the street, shimmying under the fence like a Timothy Dalton tribute act. Though I do slip in some dog shit as I shimmy, which, to be fair, is a bit more reminiscent of Lazenby than Dalton. As I get to the boy's bedroom, I see the window is open ajar. What's in God's name is she thinking? Sure, it's a hot night, but this is London cry, damn it. People carry knives, you know. I roll my eyes and sigh knowingly, imagining the moment I get to save him and chastise him for being such a naughty lad and then telling him that he must come and live with us because his parents are dead. And not to identify them, 
because he wouldn't want to remember them like that. I imagine all of this, and then 15 minutes later, after I finish doing my imagining, I continue my mission. I managed to slip into the bedroom without too much trouble. The window was actually only open an inch, so I gained entry by just smashing both large panes of glass gently with the back of the knife I was carrying. Should have mentioned that. I should also mention that I leapt through the window in order to miss the large shards of glass protruding from the frame. But uh, being 85, what happened was more of a trip. And I ended up rolling in, you see, and onto the bed and on top of the boy. He was startled, but I told him to keep quiet, and that I suspected there was an intruder in the house, and that if he did exactly as I said, he would live. Perplexingly, he looked frightened in that instance. I don't know whether it was my whispering, whether it was my frugal nature with my explanation, whether it was that I was on top of him, whether it was that I was carrying a knife, or whether it was that I was completely naked. I don't know what it was, but he looked at me, not as though I had come to save him, but as though I indeed was the intruder. I told him to lay still, and that we ought to wait to be sure the intruder had left. We waited for four hours, but as the sun began to rise, and he asked me if I was carrying a second knife strapped to my waist, and could I move it because it was prodding him, I wasn't, God forgive me. We realised that I had made a very embarrassing mistake. According to Her Majesty's police, I had simply left the television on in the room, and the screams I heard were from a Netflix documentary on the Yorkshire Ripper, which had played after my Night Stalker marathon as part of my suggested programming, or things you might also like. I must have heard this and gone straight to the aid of my neighbours. When the police asked me why I didn't check the other neighbours, I could only plead insanity in the moment not to mention an instinctive love and need to preserve the university system in our great country. To the nakedness, a deadly combination of sleeping in the nuddy-wuddy and having no time to spare. And to the erection, well, it rose to meet the occasion of the morning. As the sun rises, so do I. It's always been that way. In fact, my mother used to get terrible morning sickness all the way through her pregnancy with me uh, because my morning glory in her womb would press up against her stomach and induce nausea. I wasn't so much born as I was unhooked. The judge agreed with my excuses, <coughs> I mean um, reasons, and I was freed without any charges or punishment. I mean, of course, I had to pay for the broken window, make my apologies, pay damages to the Canumbas, work 50 hours of community service and accept a 10-year stint on the sex offenders register. But, I mean, I'd hardly call that consequential. No, it was a very embarrassing for me, but like I said to the judge, I'd do it again in a heartbeat if I felt a handsome young man was in trouble. And I took his raised eyebrows, shaking of the head and deep sigh, to mean he understood, and he agreed. Sam, I hope you're enjoying your education in Poland. They sent him away after. I'm beginning to think the parents might be monsters, and I would say as much, only my court injunction and verbal and physical restraining orders prevent me from doing so. Godspeed, though, my lad. Godspeed. Anyway, as they say, on with the show. Stephen King, or Stephanie King, as he likes to be known every third Wednesday on his self-entitled dress-up day, I don't mind telling you, really gets my ghoulies. 
His wicked and macabre stories must surely be the pinnacle of all horror, and it's a good place to start our journey, if I do so so myself. Little Pussy Packer on the back hoe was well done. Even though so many of his stories are too long, he is widely considered the master of the genre in papier form, and knows no bounds in the use of the complete clemonstrous. He'll write about anything. He's what we call in the book world a literary whore, a Victorian term which refers to those who churn out books for the beautiful green dollar more than they do the love of the thing. Uh, David Walliams' children's books are comparable, though I hear Williams was surprised to hear people thought of them as children's books in the first place. In an interview with the BBC, he is quoted as saying, What? Children? But I hate them. Why would I write a children's book? They are my writings, my teachings. I am the bread of life. I need to get out of here. Not my words, the words of David Walliams. Stephen, at least, has a decent collection of good books, and you can get to any local library now, should you wish, to read about everything from vipers to vampires, from stalkers to slashers, from pandemics to predatory paedophiles. But what's the Stephen think the key is? I asked him at the changing of the guard, which I took him to on his annual visit to London. He was insistent on going, as he was writing a story about a horse that goes mad and kills and eats the Queen of England. I told him I didn't think it had legs, but he insisted that, disabled or not, the story would go ahead. Whilst we watched the posh soldiers marching up on a downer, I whispered to him, inquiring of his secret, "'What is the secret to a good horror story, Stephen?' And he simply looked at me and very quietly told me to look in my pockets. Well, I looked in one and I found the still beating heart of, I think, a pig. And in the other was a school of bats who, whilst they were all asleep, looked as though they were simply storing up energy to wake and charge at my face. Stephen had slipped them in and knowing I was crippled into submission of reaction, I mean, I could hardly make a scene as Her Majesty changed her guards. I was struck dumb with fright. He saw my reaction and leaned over and whispered, To create real horror, you must have two ingredients, dear lad. My ghoulies shuddered and lopped and leaked. The element of surprise and sustained tension. Do you feel it? I wet myself and nodded slowly. Then he said, Do be careful of the bats. I laced their sugar water with adrenaline. When they wake, they are sure to. And then we said in complete unison, Tear the face off. And with that, he slinked down and into a drain, disappearing for as many as three hours until he texted and said he was in the Costa Coffee just off of Barra Market and I should join him. Oh, and to bring the bats, as they weren't his and he would need to return them to Esther Ranson, who I came to understand was a keen and local batter, not the cricket kind. When I pressed King over a mochaccino and a creamy biscuit, he seemed less theatrical about the whole question. Oh, I just copy most of it, he said. It pays for the girls and the drugs and the yachts, which I use for the girls and the drugs, so that's all that really matters. And with that, I downed the coffee, burnt my esophagus, and continued my journey to a local theatre via the hospital, where I hope to find out some more about horror on the stage. When Daniel Radcliffe told me he would be taking on the role of Arthur Kipps in the film adaptation of Women in Black, I told him to settle down and that if he kept telling lies, then I'd tell his dad. 
After he insisted it was true, I told him I'd humour him and check with the producers, but that he would be grounded until the answer came back with a yay or a nay, and also that if it was nay, that I'd be docking his pocket money and Emma Watson wouldn't be able to come over at the weekend for a sleepover. Sure enough, and to my eternal damnation, two weeks later I received a very polite email from the film's runner confirming he had indeed been cast, which... I, of course, forwarded to Daniel's chambermaid, who let him out of the cupboard and gave him sustenance, which he grobbled up like a starved man in his early thirties. I told him that he had big shoes to fill, indeed, because the theatrical incarnation was a superior beast and not to be messed with. Little did he know, but uh, I was in the first ever production of Women in Black at the Fortune Theatre in the early eighties, playing the old man, and the show was so bloody terrifying that on several occasions I ran from the theatre screaming before the curtain had even gone up. Indeed, it's what led to me being fired on the production. Uh, according to my agent at the time, the director and other actors simply got fed up of me, A, telling everybody that the play was haunted by uh, a woman in black. Um, there wasn't, according to them. That person I saw every night was a very gifted actress called Jane Miller. Uh, who was playing the part, and B, never turning up because, as I said to them, regardless of whether the ghost was real or not, Jane Miller was equally haunting, especially her tiny hands. Oh, she had the tiniest hands in Christendom. Seriously, uh, seriously, guys, tiny bloody hands. Like, you know, minute. And you could barely see the pinky. And the thumb looked like a blob of Play-Doh. Oh, tiny, absolutely, just minuscule. It does not do them justice. Oh, and the mere thought of them fingering about my ghoulies sends the hairs crawling up my spine and my back. Anyway, we digress. My experience may have been brief in WAP, but nevertheless the show was a terrifying hit for horror in the theatre and cemented it as the pinnacle of the genre on the stage. It is, as I recall, unmatched. Sure, ghost stories has a few scares, and the precarious nature of 60-strong chorus of tap dancers on a boat and anything goes is equally shocking, but uh, so terrifying you might threaten your partner with physical violence if he doesn't check under the bed, behind the door, and your throbbing ghoulies after seeing it, slash being in it? I don't blood to think so. No. Wob has everything that horror in the theatre requires, needs, and demands. It's dark, there's loud screaming... There's some nasty monsters and ghosts. There's some piss-poor acting. One must have light relief. And the bar is reasonably priced. The last applies to all good theatres, to be fair. The only thing I think Wob needs is a sequel. And that is where the theatre fails, you see. Sequels have never been a great success in the theatre. Not since Two Cats on a Hot Tin Roof uh, and the ill-fated The Iceman Goeth. Uh, bombed so badly, has anyone been brave enough to mount a real theatrical sequel? Horror or not? I guess we must leave that to the real masters of the genre, those in film, who I can't wait to move on to, and yet even the thoughts of it is making me want to go over to Sean and crush his ghoulies entirely. <laughs> Sorry. Those first two shudders were to, to do with the film. The, the last one there was uh, actually me just uh, remembering um, those tiny hands again. God, they were absolutely 
absolutely tiny. Small would be just a nonsense really to call them small. You know, if you were just going to imagine some small hands, like do imagine them now, imagine it, imagine it. Yeah, twice as small as that. I mean, really, really tiny. Um, and and now I'm sort of thinking about them going for my neck. Um, those tiny hands around my neck, and I can't breathe. Um, Sean, I need a break. You're listening to Talking Theatre, the only podcast on earth about theatre. Next up, we take the genres of films, and I share some of the moments in my life where I've been so scared my ghoulies have gone up through my body, come out of my mouth, and then returned, with the help of gravity, back with me swallowing them and shuddering all the while. Well, not really, but you get the idea. I have swallowed ghoulies before after being involved in an accident with two builders who were contracted to clear my guttering, but um, that's another story. First, a word from this week's sponsors. Tis a beautiful day for a bit of shrimping down the old port of central London. Even the birds are after my lovely pink shrimp. Get away, you dirty bastard. They're rats with wings. My name is Captain Shrimp. Original, I know. Don't take the piddle or I'll gut you like a fish. And I run central London's finest all-you-can-eat shrimp buffet. And guess what? We want your business. That'll be the bell to signal the buffet is open. Can I really eat as much as I like? You certainly can. Is it really as fishy as you say? It's about as fishy as Jeff Bezos' tax returns. Now that's some serious satire. Excuse me, Mr. Captain? Yes, son? Do you do fish fingers? (laughs) I'm afraid we don't. And we also don't allow children in the building. So off you go. Oh, why? I said go. Come down to central London's finest all-you-can-eat shrimp buffet now. When you're looking for something a little fishy, you can come to me any old day. I'll serve you up a fishy little dishy at London's all-you-can-eat shrimp buffet. I'd really love some shrimp. I'm homeless. I told you once. (laughs) More for the buffet. Central London's all-you-can-eat shrimp buffet. Sponsors tour in theatre. The only podcast on earth about the theatre. Who are? The late Linda Blair, uh, she's not dead, just terribly unpunctual, was more than forthcoming of her experiences in horror when I paged her in preparation for this air lecture. I've known Linda since she was but a babe, and whilst the world left pages behind, we have always sworn by them. Quite literally, in fact. If you ever meet Linda, just ask her about her pager, and you'll see. She's likely to tell you it's a fucking good bit of kit, and better than a shitty iPhone any day. Only she'll probably use far worse language. She swells with the best of them, and good luck to her. For my part, I keep a pager mostly to please her. I'm not saying she's violent, but to know her well is to understand exactly why she was cast as a young child who has been possessed by a foul-mouthed demon. In truth, she is in general discourse 30% the former and 80% other. And that's just maths. 
But it is her star turn, as I say, in ghouly throbbing hit movie The Exorcists that has allowed me such access to some of the ins and outs of the horror genre on film. Incidentally, I've always called it The Exorcist. It is perplexing to me how somebody could write an entire film but fail to count the number of characters in it. Reagan, the young girl, is clearly exorcised by two priests, the young Irish one who she pukes in the face of and the old codger who thinks he's all that but who the demon quickly dispatches. Or does he? I mean, you never see it and he is very old. Perhaps he just perishes of natural causes. And it's insanely bad timing. I mean, one mustn't be too quick to blame a, a demon. After all, one must be very careful of the ghoulish in that regard. Uh, perhaps the mother even killed him. Uh, yes, with her own insane jealousies at not being able to, to save her own daughter, which as a, a mother and a woman, she, she should surely be able to do, let's face it. And, and let's be fair, it is more likely to be her causing the whole business anyway. I mean, <laughs> a demon... It's not likely. Now, I think uh, actually uh, uh, re-evaluating, I think the story is clearly one of a neglectful mother and by proxy women as a, a whole and how savage they can be to their young in the pursuit of forever beauty, perhaps. Yes, that's right. The demon is most likely a, a manifestation of that savagery and the title is perhaps an ironic. The exorcism is not happening to the child, but in fact the awful mother. Hmm, that's, that's food for thought, and I, I must page you, Linda, about it. Uh, she'll probably go mad. Christ alive. Anyhow, regardless of the horrific focus, it is surely one of the most notable works in the canon, which is why I went to Linda via my pager, as I mentioned, to find out her experience of the horror, and especially how effective it is on film. Uh, and I have the pager here and her reply. It reads, Holworth, horror is scary. Do... You want pasta or pizza? I should mention, we were meeting that night at Bella Italia. But there we are. Horror is scary. What more need be said? A bit more, I think. My issue with horror at the picture house is I've always found the titles to be somewhat misleading and my expectations have suffered as a common audience member. Imagine my surprise when I found out the thing was about more than just something inconsequential. The blob wasn't about a woman's period gone mad. And part of Night of the Living Dead is set in the day. I mean, hello, this is just so disorientating. And what about Rosemary's Baby? Sounds like a Ken Loach film about poor people not enjoying being poor. But then again, uh, the bone collector turned out to be exactly what I thought it would be. Uh, though on closer inspection, Sean tells me the pornographic parody and the actual film do in fact have the same title, and I indeed had seen the filthy, dirty one. Good Christ. Don't get me wrong! It was a good bit of film, though. Hats off to those that really thought about their titles. Psycho about a psycho. Poltergeist about a poltergeist. Texas Chainsaw Massacre about a chainsaw massacre in Texas. Cabin in the Woods about a cabin in the woods. The Lighthouse about a lighthouse. A Quiet Place about a quiet place. The Invisible Man about an invisible man. Bird Box about a bird box. Wrong Turn about a wrong turn. The Hills Have Eyes about a bunch of hills that have eyes. All of them bravo, exactly right. 
The only question that remains then is why or why do we enjoy shitting our pants and having our ghoulies stretched to the point of ecstasy? Well, because horror speaks to our deepest and our darkest fears, does it not? Not to mention, it validates those strange occurrences that happen to us in the cold light of the night. Yes, I'm talking about when we, the real people, experience the paranormal. A bump in the night. A suspect shadow. A literal demon trying to eat your soul. <coughs> it is so apt that we should finish our main section by discussing demons. Because no, I have... No, no, no Sean. No, Sean, I absolutely must do this. No, I must. I myself have been haunted by a demon for years. No, I will tell this child, Sean. I have been haunted by a demon. I'm not talking about alcoholism or gambling. Those are my sicknesses, sure, but they're not demons. I'm talking about a very real demon that has followed me for, I think, centuries. It takes many forms and is a wily one. Its power knows no bounds. And whilst I always feel its presence, it's a prolific gift giver. I seldom actually see it. On those occasions when I have, I have been forced to fight it, out of fear. And the consequences have been devastating. I include my diary entries for those three occasions here. Do read them with caution. Sandra Bullock read them once and was reduced to tears. She has always found my writing devastating. She says it's my overuse of the semicolon. She is, as they say, a cheeky bitch. Monday the 1st of April. 1961. A long day rehearsing for Orson Welles under the gazebo in his back garden. Too windy for me, but Orson is a big fan and calls the wind his greatest critic. He's madder than a bag of cats, but this production of The Cherry Orchard is shaping up to be one of the greatest, and that's saying something considering Orson spent the first day of rehearsals making the actors burn their scripts and their clothes as he shouted, dancing, We start from scratch, damn it, we start from scratch. As I say, Mad as a bag of cats. Credits where it's due, he imposed the same conditions on himself and burnt his own clothes except for one sock, which he wore for modesty. He's always been so ashamed of his left foot. Also, his balls are pendulous and beguiling, especially in the wind. Spent the evening watching the Avengers with the wife. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Not the program. I find Patrick McNee's performance brilliant. He's such a handsome chap, quite beautiful to look at, in a purely objective way. No, what I hate is an evening in with the wife. Honestly, sometimes I watch these cop programs and find myself imagining it's her cadaver's outline the police have taped. Strange end to the night, when I wake up to go to the loo at about 3am and saw a demon. I'm used to its presence and have been since a child, but have never seen it. It appeared small and silky, black all over with pointy ears and shiny eyes. When I approached it and asked it what it wanted... It moved through my legs, pushing up against them like a temptress, willing me to my own death, or hell, or both, in that order. Feeling a search was going to devour me at any minute, I beat it as best I could before it got away, including grabbing it by what felt like a tail, almost, and swinging it around my head nine times. After that, I did sleep easy. Neighbours called next day, though, to say their cat had been ravaged in the night, and that they had found it in the morning, crumpled in the corner, not very well at all. In fact, it was dead. I was horrified. The demon had clearly gone next door after our little to-do and taken its frustration at not devouring my soul out on the neighbor's cat. I hoped the demon was swift with its dispatching, 
one can only imagine what the little puss finally went through, apart from the cat flap. Friday the 13th of January, 1981. Funny old day today. Divorce papers through when it's all a bit bittersweet. Sad that it costs so much money, but glad I'll never have to see that horrible witch's face ever again. Discussions about what to do with the children. I suggested adoption, but according to the lawyers, if the parents both have stable lives, jobs, good income, savings and love their children, it's customary to keep them and find a custody arrangement. I fought it, but as they are elderly toddlers, I relented at the sight of their crying faces and the pleading. I told the lawyers it wasn't a good idea to keep them in the room when I called them problematic and we discussed what to do with them, but there we are. Eventually we agreed she would have full custody and I would see them when possible up to four times a year provided she would provide their lunch and the time had been prearranged with my PA with a year's notice. When my youngest tugged at my coat and told me that meant we wouldn't see each other for a year and even that was if he could get through to my PA today to organise the first meeting, I smiled and nodded, telling him that yes indeed, life can be tough, Wexley. It's this type of parenting which really counts, and these moments I know I shall cherish forever. Left the office with a skip in my step, went home and ate three tubs of ice cream for dinner and a huge bag of Watsons for dessert before putting on a Learn Flamenco dancing VHS I found on the cupboard. Sank a bottle of whiskey, woke up in the night to that strange feeling again. Had to pee so went to the bathroom and then saw a man standing across from me who I knew to be a demon. I smiled knowing the stay would come when he would return and he smiled at me almost at the exact same time. Immediately I leapt at him and attacked him. From then on, it's a haze. I must have blacked out. In the morning, I woke up in the bed with the effects of the demon on my body still raging, including feeling sick, with a headache, bad breath, orange stains all over my hands and my mouth and my face and things, deep pain in my knees, ankles and feet, and low insulin levels. My hands and knuckles were also cut to ribbons and bleeding. Oh, he's really had his fun, hasn't he? Surveyed the damage as well. Skid and scratch marks all over the living room floor, and the bathroom mirror is smashed to pieces, and there's blood everywhere. Amazing a demon can cause such damage, but that's the occult for you. We'll need to spend the weekend cleaning, but must finish this bag of Watsons first. Sunday the 31st of October, 2001. Eventful day, except for meeting with Agent, where she told me to stop saying racist things on chat shows. Told her that what I quoted to Michael Parkinson was the Metropolitan Police's official figures and that she's entitled to her own opinion, but not her own facts. And that if she wanted to see it for herself firsthand, she ought to take a bloody trip up to Wood Green of an evening. She looked sheepish, to which I shouted very loudly, Exactly, Donna! Must reduce her commission. She's become so sullen recently, and losing her husband to cancer is no excuse for what is essentially a miserable disposition. Will suggest she takes 2% now on all work, rather than the 3.5. She can take the hit anyway, as her husband's insurance money is sure to come through any day. He was taken very young, so I imagine she'll get a large windfall, which should soften the blow. I know she's lost her one true soulmate forever, but at least now she gets to keep the maisonette and pay off the micro. Came home to Sean acting funny. Not been together long, so getting used to his strange quacks. Puts jam on his scone before the cream. We laughed about it, but then I told him never to do it that way again, and that in this house the cream goes first. The delicious cream always goes first. He may view the jam as garnish. Like I say, very strange little quirks, but I'm adjusting by making him do things my way. 
I have one rule in my house, as I say, and that's my house, my rule. Anyway, came home to find Sean had burnt the dinner. He was apologetic, but I was perplexed. How could he do this to me? I let it go. Later on, he let the bath over run, and a few drops of water went on my Egyptian tiled floor. He was apologetic, but I was perplexed. The ninth shake of Cairo gave me those tiles. How could he do this to me? I let it go. Finally, before bed, he passed me the wrong book. He was apologetic, but I was perplexed. Since when do I read Treasure Island? What the fuck was he playing at? And then suddenly I realised the demon had returned and had possessed Sean. Swiped Treasure Island out of his hand, throwing it across the room, and Sean looked stunned. I opened the door and grasped tightly onto my Moby Dick and beat the demon about the head, shouting, The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! I knew it was working because I could hear Sean's voice coming through, shouting, Help me! Help me! He's a monster! Eventually, the demon left the body, evidenced when it stopped fighting, and Sean's lifeless carcass was left on the floor out cold. Meant to bring him back with the kiss of life, but in my panic grabbed the jaws of life which had been left by a local fireman we've been having over for kinky menagers. Applied it to him, and naturally, it crushed his spine. A quick trip to A&E, and after 72 hours of surgery, he's fine. Thank God. And no sign of the demon in the spine, the doctor tells me. Returned Jaws of Life to Fireman Sam, codename as his wife is unaware of his proclivities. He thanked me in kind. He certainly did. Sean unable to participate due to full body cast. Alas, 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 alas. And therein ends that final diary entry. And so you see, horror isn't just a genre and macabre style. A distant fantasy. But for many, it is a way of life. Incidentally, I don't know how I acquired this demon, but my mother always said there was something dark inside me, and my father said that when I entered the room I would bring a cold wind that would make the heart shudder and confuse the mind. I did find out that my great-grandfather used to execute hens, but as a chicken farmer that's fairly common. No, I suppose I shall never know why my life is so wrapped up in horror. Mainly because I can't be bothered to find out. But also because we all love a bit of the mystery, don't we? It gets us... Oh, what's the phrase? By the ghoulers. By those chilly, tingling, throbbing, leaking ghoulers. Horror. <coughs> and so to correspondence, I don't know about you, but this episode really has been a shut your pants scary, hasn't it? So I do hope you have sufficient cleanness in your establishment to mop up the mess from your dripping ghoulers. Ooh, ooh, tiny hands at my throat. Anyway, this week, Sean's been using that small brain of his and has decided we should take a call live into the studio after we received a letter from a Mrs. D. Mon from a small village called Hell... <coughs> Ingdon... In Scarborough. Um, oh, no, that's Scarborough. My mistake. Uh, the lady in question requested a telephone conversation to ask her question, which she has said in her own words, needs to be said aloud like a curse in order to be fully appreciated. Lovely stuff. Um, anyway, so let's dial the number, uh, Sean, and uh, let's see if we can get her on the line. Is it ringing? Yes, good. Okay, here it goes. Um... Hello, is that um, is that Mrs. Mon? Hello. Uh, sorry, can you hear me, Hello? Mrs. Mon? Hello, 
it's that tall word. It is indeed. Uh, I said, it is indeed. Can you hear us? Yes, have a bit I of a bad laugh. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm on the phone with Hallward's news. Sir? Yes. So, sorry, oh my God. Can I just say, I love the show and that you're bloody brilliant. Oh my God, I swore. Oh God, I swore. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> Sean says much worse on here in, and in the throes of passion. Oh, with come on. You fucking do. Anyway, uh, Mrs. Mon, uh, what is your question regarding? And uh, remember that we are talking about horror. Oh, you're, oh quite, yeah, quite, oh, yes. Um, do, do I just read the question you sent me? or uh, the, uh, um, the, No, the question that uh, you wrote. Oh, I didn't. Yes. I didn't I'd, just oh, read I uh, that. I, I didn't write. Oh, oh I see. Oh, that's right. Yeah, no, no, no the, the the one I wrote, right? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, what is your question, my dear girl? Oh, right. Uh, well, as you know, I'm I'm a great lover of horror, and I just wondered whether you ever considered what it would feel like to have your guts ripped out and fed to you. Well, I would say that. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, what did you say? What, what's that? Uh, sorry, I said, uh, what did you say then? Sorry, I said, um, I-, I wonder whether you ever considered what it would feel like to have your head cut off and served on a silver platter. <laughs> well, hang on. Uh, I said, Sean, did you write that? Um, the, my head? Um, well, I'm just reading what's on the card. Well, you've read two different things so far. Oh, what are you, the fucking police? No, that, that's a bit uncalled for. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, uh, you're right. That's... You don't remember. Do you? Well, I can't say I, I do, but I thought the agreement was clear. Fifty pounds, and you ring in, praise me, and just read what's on the card. You're gonna die. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sean, what's happening? My ghoulies are through the floor here. You're gonna die. You're gonna die. You're gonna die. La, la, la. What's going on? What's going on? I'm rocking back and forth and swiveling my head all the way around. La, 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 la. Yeah, I thought so. La, 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 uh, Sean, I have need to end the call. La, this is a demon. I'm trying to, but it says that the call ended ten minutes ago. Sean, put the phone down. Sean, put the phone down. Sean, now it's actually copying me. Sean, now it's actually copying me. <laughs> That's just childish. Who are you calling a child? Uh, nobody, uh, Mrs. Demon. Sean, my sincerest apologies. No, you've said it now. Well, what do you mean? Now I'm really going to eat your soul. I said before it was just a threat then, was it? Well, I mean... That's hardly fair. But you... Uh, are you a demon of your words or not? Well, if you give me a second to explain, then I will. Go ahead. No, well, if you're not going to hear me out... No, I said go ahead, and I mean it. Go ahead. I think I've worked out how to cut the line. No, leave it, Sean. I want to hear this out. I'm, I'm not... I'm not... I'm not really a demon. What? My name's Putin. What, like the Russian emperor? Yeah. Go on. I listen every week, and I write to you, and you never read my letter, and I thought I'd ring up and try and scare you. It was stupid, I know, but I just wanted your attention. Uh, I'm just like an adoring fan, and I thought if I phoned up, I might finally get to talk to the greatest living actor there ever was. Um, the man who I count as my hero, my teacher, the one and only Holworth Felixstowe Smooth. Oh, oh, person. Oh, my dear la- oh, oh, is that really true? No, not really. I'm a demon. You're a stupid bastard. I've got you stuck a fish. I'm going to come there and drag you to hell. Cut the line, Sean. Yeah, I suspected that. Uh, the only person who's ever considered me the greatest actor is myself, so I smelt bullshit from the get-go on that little monologue. Uh, anyway, I should have... Uh, I should have suspected that demon would show his voice in the episode about horror, and uh, I think it has been 20 years since the last time. Anyway, we must end there, because uh, I need to get the doctor to have my ghoulies checked. Not, of course, before I change my pants. I do apologise.
Sean, he's still on the line. You can't get rid of me. I'm a demon. I'm gonna cut you like a fair Sorry, now it's done. Is it really done? It's still there. It's still there. Hello. That's it. No, I think it really has gone that time. Oh. Well, that's all we have time for today. Next week, we'll be taking a swift turn back to the theatre and to the absurdism. And as I always say, I'll be asking the all-important questions like, what on earth is waiting for Godot about? Seriously, what on earth is waiting for Godot about? And, no, seriously, I want my money back right now unless you can tell me what this shit is about. And no, I won't sit down. I give not a jot if the show hasn't finished. Bowler hats? Who is Godot? I've had enough of this. You've been listening to Talking Theatre, the only podcast on earth about theatre. And so, until next time, to you I say, good night.